Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Many volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayala trails. And units available in Tamaria near the Keen area for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Angel 7 is in the water with the boat. Backup units needed. Hi, and welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that goes behind the scenes and takes an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Hatzala. This podcast is hosted by myself, Raphael Posh. And I'm Dovi Mizell. Today we have a very special episode for you as we are close to marking six months since the, since the horrific collapse of the Champlain Towers South Building in Surfside, Miami. It is therefore my pleasure to introduce a very special guest that we have on today's podcast, clinical psychologist Dr. Sharon Slater. Hi, it's nice to be here. Uh, Sharon was one of our team members for the mission that, uh, that United Cells sent to Surfside, together with Dove and myself and three other members of our psychotrauma and crisis response unit, which we're going to be discussing uh, for the remainder of the podcast today. Yeah, well, it's, it, I can't believe time flies since that incident. It has been a crazy year. I think we related to this in one of the previous podcasts, and that was the MCIs we were dealing with in Israel. And Correct. Yeah, we, uh, it's, it's one of the many uh, things that unfortunately we've learned here, and we, we took a lot of our expertise from Israel and brought it over to, to Surfside there uh, to help the people. And, and Sharon, why don't you tell us about some of the expertise that you brought over? Well, I do think that the situation at Meron was ironically timed um, just a number of weeks before the Surfside collapse. And it gave us a kind of smaller uh, version of what was going to face us when we got off the plane. It also gave us an idea of how terrifically traumatized the first wave of first responders can be um, after a situation such as this. Um, I do feel like that was what was in all of our heads when we got off the plane. Yeah, very much so. So maybe, maybe Raphael, maybe we take it back a notch. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure uh, people know what Sharon is talking about. So uh, a short while before Surfside uh, collapse, uh, when uh, about Sharon is talking almost, about yeah, Maron. So Mount Maron, for those of you who aren't familiar, was a, uh, a, a massive MCI here, a big crowd crush uh, where 45 people lost their life on a uh, Jewish holiday on Mount Maron with an event with over 250,000 people on the in this celebration and there was a crowd crush and, and 45 people lost their life. And, and right after that, we were, you know, going through our debriefs here and, and, and working through our lessons learned. And we dealt more, more than anything else, I think was with the uh, vast amount of psychotrauma unit um, implementation internally for our own EMTs and paramedics. And I think we spoke about it a little bit in the past and we did talk about that. And we also spoke about how we, that, that also affected the Givat Zev event, which was also uh, between Maron and Surfside. It took place uh, towards in the middle of May. Um, and Surfside, just a reminder, was the end of June for everyone. So it was, it was a very uh, busy time period, specifically for the psychotrauma unit, which really kicked into high gear um, in terms of treating both victims at the scene, uh, their immediate uh, the people who were witnesses, bystanders, as well as the first responders who responded to the scene. And we took all of those elements and really implemented them into what we did at Surfside as well, both uh, dealing we didn't, there we didn't really deal with victims. Um, because yeah, I, I think maybe that goes back to why were we even in Surfside? Um, That's a good question. I mean, uh, a nice uh, yeah, 
a volunteer EMS service from Israel. What can we offer a big America when such a disaster happens? And I think the, the simple answer is as soon as we started getting news of what was going on in Surfside uh, back here in Israel, immediately uh, we start, uh, start thinking, what can we do to help? And uh, what do we have to offer to help that isn't already in place? Exactly. Well, like we, they had all the USRs. And we have the, the USARs and the task forces, and this is big America. Come on. Yeah. We can't really assist bringing our EMTs and paramedics. Of course, and there was no need for EMTs and paramedics because they're also going to only get there at the earliest possible because of all the COVID restrictions and everything else. The earliest spot, the Surfside, the collapse happened Thursday morning. The earliest we were going to get there would be Sunday morning. Correct. Which I think was part of the um, challenge for those of us in the psychotrauma unit, which is we're used to getting there seven, eight minutes after, after maybe ten after the whatever happens, happens. Yeah, whatever incident we're whatever incident place. we're responding to, we're not used to getting there three days later. And when we do arrive, I think we're used to seeing a tremendous amount of hysteria and uh, panic attacks or silent terror. When you come three days later, the responses you're looking at are completely different. People have already internalized it. They're much calmer. It was very different setup than what we were used to as psychodrama volunteers. Yeah, right. versus versus a terror attack or a disaster here in Israel. Well, also looking at an incident like Surfside, we're looking at a collapse of a building. This is, we, we very early in the game understood that this is not going to be a, 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 a you know, a, uh, um, what do you call it, scoop and run case. This right. is going to be a, a, an incident that will take time. And that's why we actually thought that we will be beneficial here. Because when we were thinking about what added value could we bring to the community of, uh, of Surfside, um, we, like I said, we weren't going to be beneficial sending EMTs and paramedics. So our especially unique psychotrauma unit, uh, we immediately understood would be of a, of a beneficiary to the, to the community there. Because simply our experience here through terror attacks, disasters, and others, we knew we had a very unique edge, a, 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 a point that we can be beneficial to the community. And it was important for us beyond that, and it's important to say this, is, is the community in South Florida is a very Israel-supportive community. And when something happens to a community that every day supports us here in Israel, the first thing you think is, how can we give back? And we put our heads together, and this was Thursday night. So like Sharon was saying, and she'll she'll be able to go into the experience we had on the ground once we got there. But going back to Thursday night, when we understood what was going on, we already had um, a conference calls with the community leadership, with social services, uh, with community services there to see um, what they have on the ground and what assistance we can bring, especially when we're focusing on the psychotrauma components. Um, and, and like Sharon said, it will take a few days to get there. It will take us over the weekend, flights and whatnot, and we'll only arrive there Sunday morning, but this is precious time. So we did have some conference calls, and we already started providing them with some basic tools to start working with the community there um, until we can join the efforts boots on ground. So Sharon, once we arrived on, on Sunday morning, we arrived, we took the 15-hour flight or whatever it was and arrived in, 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 in Florida, early Sunday morning, and immediately we headed down towards towards the site to where the family is that we're, we're gathering. Why don't you share a little bit, coming from your professional side, and maybe compare it a little bit to some of the experience you've had here in Israel when arriving on a scene like that? Um, I think that uh, landing in, is, uh, landing in uh, Florida and walking into a room full of families with um, missing family members 
It was actually a very um, humbling um, experience because where when we respond to incidents here in Israel, it's very clear what our role is. Coming into that group, it became very obvious to all of us, and I think I said this at the debrief that we gave to the community when we were in Surfside, that there was really nothing that we could give these families that they wanted. Uh, the only thing that interested them was information related to their missing family members, and that was it. And we were immediately confronted with uh, a sense of, okay, we can't give them what we want. We, we absolutely cannot give them what they want. And uh, we now have to put our heads together and figure out what they need. And having never um, experienced a situation in which we show up three days after an incident um, with not a clear idea of what uh, people are needing because we had just arrived, uh, it took a little bit of regrouping uh, for us to work in a different headset and with a different protocol. W wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think the uh, it, it was something which, I mean, going back a little bit to, to the, the pre-work that we were doing before was connecting with the community, and that was something which was very important when we did so that we, we sort of knew what a little bit we were getting into. And we had knew, the points of contact on the ground. Knew we right. knew. We didn't just walk in right. out of the blue. We knew right. where we were going. We came to the Family Reunification Center. We met with uh, with uh, community services. And, and, and basically what they were saying, we need help. They did not know how to define right. that exactly. help. Right. And let's, let's sort of put in perspective what that, what that Family Reunification Center was at the time. Uh, the whole situation was, was very fluid. Um, and what was going on was basically the family members uh, of the people who were in the building had shown up en masse in, at Surfside. Either some of them lived there or people came from abroad, uh, even other countries. Uh, we even met one of them on the plane and uh, on the way from Israel. Um, and they basically showed up in Surfside together and were all put into one hotel room, <clears throat> a very, very large conference room, uh, where they were given food, they were given drinks, they were given like whatever uh, basic needs they, they, they were, would have needed at the time, but they were sitting and waiting for information like we were saying. And that's the thing they really, really wanted. Um, but they couldn't get information because there wasn't any to be had yet. There was still the digging going on. There was still the searching going on. And until they uh, started finally finding people uh, in the building, it took uh, it took a couple of days, at least until the, I think even the first one was found. Um, I think you, I think you um, did uh, touch on a point that's important, which is that our very presence, uh, and I think all of us felt this, our very presence was extremely... Um, confirming, uh, validating, um, uh, relieving to them. Uh, they heard we came from Israel. They heard we're a psychotrauma unit. Um, we have experience with this. I think there was a lot of relief that all of us felt from the families that we were that we had even showed shown up. And in the psychotrauma unit, they always tell us be present first and then figure out the needs. Our presence was very meaningful. Very much so. And and. The amount of people, even like right when we walked into the room for the first time, once they started hearing we were from Israel, the amount of people came up to me and, and you and the rest of the team uh, and said, thank you for coming. Yes. Thank you for, for being here and wanting to help us was uh, was immense. And and for them, it gave a, a terrific feeling, like you were saying, confirmation and validation, um, but also a sense of relief that people care about what we're going through. And that was something which was very helpful for them. It's not being, uh, it's caring. It's a, You didn't forget us. You didn't right. forget us. Right. That was literally what they were using words of. You didn't forget us. 
and we're happy that you're here. Even if we knew at that moment that we don't have anything really to, to like you were saying, Sharon, to, to give them an answer to their question, but just the presence was, was very uh, uh, meaningful to them. I think maybe at this point, when, when we were already through the first day there and, and we were doing our um, assessments of, of the needs, they're getting a, a better understanding. So I think our mission really divided into three over there. Number one was just working with the families in the reunification centers, in the hotels and in the community center and in other places throughout the Surfside community where the family and family members of, of, of those missing were gathering. Number two was uh, working with the Israeli Home Front Command IDF unit, which was working on the intelligence side of mapping out the disaster site itself in order to focus the search on the rubble uh, to identify where the people are. And I think, Sharon, that's a, you'll, you'll elaborate on that in a minute because you really focused on that yes. throughout the week because that was intense work with the families and we'll explain yes. exactly what was done there. And the third part was working with the professional first responders. Correct. While we weren't there was, digging there was, on the site. There was site, another part, actually, with, the, with the, the families that survived in the side of the building that was still standing. Uh, we yeah. actually located them and connected them with local community services later, yes. that, uh, which they were a little bit unknown at the time. They were put in a different family reunification center and wasn't so as known as well as the other one. Um, so there's definitely a connection aspect in there as well. Absolutely. I, th- I think we're forgetting one member that was on our team here. Oh, we haven't forgotten her. We, we haven't, haven't forgotten got- her. Oh, she was the most, her, she yes. was the most uh, significant we're, we're gonna member of our team. We're going to get to that. She's the surprise we're saving for later. surprise for later. So let's, uh, let, let's circle back maybe to Sharon a little bit. Um, Sharon, why don't you share a little bit about the very unique the unique role that the IDF Homefront Command Search and Rescue mm-hmm. Unit played in the Surfside um, uh, Champlain Towers collapse and what role we took with you specifically leading took with them in this uh, on this mission okay so like i said earlier when we walked in we were looking to see um what we could contribute to the situation and um what the families needed as opposed to what they wanted clearly the families were uh at the time that we walked in feeling helpless they were sitting in groups they were huddled on the floor they uh did not feel like they were able to do anything to move the process forward. And in walks the team from Israel, comprised of, we we had flown in together with them on the plane. Uh, so there were 10 uh, IDF uh, Homefront Command senior officers. And uh, the six of us from the psychotrauma unit, all 16 of us, um, had come in together, landed together. And, and we started came. conferring on the plane already. And, and, and on the plane. And coordinating. Correct. While part of their team was working on the maps of the building, another part of the team was already talking with you, Sharon, about, about the cooperation that we'll be doing on the ground in the Correct. family reunification center. Well, I actually started... Uh, um, in my role in the psychotrauma unit on the plane, when a, one of the, one of the uh, stewardesses came up to me and said, I understand you're in a psychotrauma unit. Uh, one of the family members is uh, flying in um, 
uh, from Europe to uh, see if he can find his uh, brother's body. Do you think that you can go speak to him? And well, at the time, it wasn't. We didn't think it was a body yet. Were, the correct. Like, That's true. They're trying to find they the brother. Were trying to find his brother. That's correct. Um, we had to be very careful also when we were speaking to the families, never to refer to any family members in past tense. At the time, it was a search effort, not a recovery effort. And um, I uh, went to speak to this young man. I spoke to him for quite a while. And uh, was joined by Golan Vach, uh, who um, was heading the IDF Homefront Command. And the three of us uh, spoke together for about an hour in the back of the plane. So I actually began working earlier and connecting with the IDF Homefront Command already on the plane. Once we got off um, and we arrived, I saw them spreading out um, maps and they told me that they were. When Sharon says maps, she means blueprints. Sorry, blueprints. Of the building. Blueprints, correct. I'm losing my English completely. <laughs> uh, they were spreading out blueprints and uh, looking to um, question the families as to significant items that might help identify specific apartments, specific markings on the bodies of their missing ones, um, and somehow identify their location in the rubble yeah. And this happened because the family members were in the apartments at different times, and Correct. sometimes even the apartments, the internal interior of the apartments were changed. People did uh, you know, remodeling um, in certain instances. So when the, the collapse happened in sort of middle of the night, around 1, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, most people, they assumed, would be near the bedrooms. But in some of the apartments, the, where the bedroom was located was changed, and that was going to change where the search was taking place. And it was to that level of detail that the, the IDF search and rescue team was coming and asking for the families to provide them with just to verify where, where things were so that they would know better where to search in the rubble pile well, uh, Rafael, there was, an, there was an additional wrinkle, which is that this was a condo that was often used for vacation purposes only Correct. for some people who would come just on weekends or what they call snowbirds who would come just in the winter. So IDF was coming in with no information as to which apartments actually had people, people in sleeping them. in mm -hmm. them. And so they were really confronted with a very confusing situation. And at that point, we uh, figured that it would be helpful for them to debrief the families with a psychologist or social worker uh, on staff together with them in the event that the family member would uh, have a panic attack. Um, have a stress reaction. Have a stress reaction. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I think from what I witnessed there, and I'm not a mental health professional, um, I came from the operational side to, to, to manage the, the delegation. But what I saw and, and was most amazing to me was to see you have dozens of families there with many questions with no answers. You have the tables of the IDF, their intelligence people of the Homefront Command with blueprints of every single apartment in the building. And I see Sharon and other members sitting there and interviewing each family member. Where does each person sleep? Where does each person um, have their bedroom and this and that and, and, and special markings? And then what they did with all this information was all poured into the computer. And, and then what they did was they looked at the videos of the building collapse. And through unique technology of IDF intelligence... They uh, re-enacted re the falling of the building and, and directed the USARs and task forces on the ground to exact points on the rubble to find either survivors at the beginning when they tried or remains uh, and, and recover. 
And I think that process, and Sharon, you mentioned it to me in one of our end-of-the-day debriefs that we had in our for our own team, was you felt, you you said it as, as we're feeling that we're giving them a sense of purpose, that they're taking part. Maybe talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think that the hardest thing that we all noticed about uh, working with the families was the helplessness. And um, we... Uh, were able to give them something to do. What was one of the most striking things to me about being in Surfside that first day was after the um, IDF set up tables uh, for interviewing, there was a Spanish table and an English table. I was on the English table, obviously. Um, at that point, the, fam- the, the families woke up. There was... There was um, there was activity in the room. They began calling other family members to get pictures of the apartment. They began calling family members to ask, where did mom buy that special Tiffany necklace that she always wore and even wore to sleep? And suddenly the families, instead of sitting around in dejected groups on the room, were up on their feet speaking to each other and speaking to us. And I think that probably was the most powerful moment Um was the moment when the IDF announced that we were going to be interviewing them and that they could play a part in helping to find their loved ones. The energy became electric. It changed very much. And that's, as as we know from our own, own psychotrauma training, uh, the, the things that really are debilitating most are a sense of helplessness and a sense of hopelessness um, and, and inactivity. I think you're not able to do anything. You're not able to move forward uh, you're stuck in that sense of powerlessness, really, and because there's nothing to feel that you can do. And this was something tangible, which all of those family members could do, which was vital for helping the search and rescue units. Um, as opposed to just continuously going through the rubble where they were going, we were actually helping them draw a map. Uh, we were getting the family members to help them draw a map of where exactly they should be looking and where exactly they think they will find people. And that was something essential for... Um, the family members to be able to process this event and not have it stuck and, and create an acute stress reaction, um, which may have otherwise happened, I think, in, from a technical perspective. Yes, and uh, I do think that um, that was probably the most feedback, the most frequent feedback that we got at um, the desk. Uh, people would reach across and grab my hand and say, thank you so much for giving us something to do. Right. It was so hard and to sit without something it. essential to do, something vital to do. Correct. It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just busy them, work. Right. It, it was, was something ant- which was yes. very much helping the search and did help the search. Um, at the end, I think the, the Israeli team helped locate it. Was it eighty one of the? Yes. Of, yeah, of the missing literally, people. eighty-one of the missing people who were who were buried in the rubble were identified exactly in the location that based off of these interviews. Yes, and that I think was the most amazing thing, and giving them that sense of, of taking a proactive approach, doing something, and taking and and, and not just sitting there helpless. And that right. was that and was getting amazing. the help of of the community that formed there because what ended up happening in that in that family reunification center, which was uh, amazing. One of one of the offshoots which I witnessed from from a side was that. Once we got them to start helping and start giving us the information, start giving the uh, the rescue teams the information, computing it, and working with them, they started helping each other as well. There were groups that were formed. People started sitting together, telling stories about their missing loved ones uh, with one another, and working together to help comfort other family members from other people. There were those who were just sitting aside, closed up within themselves, and not 
cooperating with anyone. And now you're going to talk about our secret weapon, <laughs> I think. And now we're going to talk about our secret weapon. So well, she turned out to be a secret weapon, let me tell you. We didn't she wasn't she so was, secret. We didn't know she was going to be such a secret we weapon. We knew she was good, but I, we never knew I she was a star. Thought, I kind of thought it was going to happen. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the secret weapon we're talking about is our AACR, uh, Animal Assisted... Uh, Crisis Just response. Just call her Lucy, come and, on. Uh, she's she's a uh, King Charles Spaniel named Lucy. Um, and very, very cute and, and but fluffy. But she truly is a magician. And she truly is a magician. What her job was, was to reach those people who were sitting by themselves on the side and not connecting with anyone, even coming up to the table uh, to provide information. They weren't connecting with us. They weren't connecting with any of the other uh, therapists or, or clinical psychologists who were there um, who were trying to help and offer help. They were just sitting and waiting, and they were in their own, uh, kind of like their own closed-off world, in their pain, in their anguish. And Lucy went up to them and did what she did best and sat right next to them or uh, nudged them a little bit with her nose. And and she, I mean, she and her handler, Bhatti Yafe, are, are trained animal therapists, providers. Um, well, maybe we should point out here that Lucy's special training is that Batya doesn't pick out who she goes to. Lucy picks Lucy out. Lucy, picks out Lucy exactly. is right. trained to identify the most vulnerable people in the room and engage with them. And Batya follows her lead, not the other way around. And that's right. a critical difference. That's not what we generally see. Generally, Batya is a trained social worker, and she could easily approach somebody. But what what the magic we saw happening on the very first day was that um, Lucy was approaching people who were not interested in speaking to therapists. I should add there were many therapists from many different states that were already there when we arrived. And Lucy... um, And they were excellent, by the way. I worked worked very closely with some of them, even from the fire department. That's right. Um, and they were terrific. They were really terrific. But, but there's still people that, that needed the extra assistance there were people, of Lucy. There were people who didn't want to speak to any therapist. And they right. just said, leave us alone, very clearly. And then Lucy would walk up to them. And next thing I knew, I turned around and Bacha is sitting and speaking to the person who said, get all the therapists away from me. Yep. Because she spent five minutes patting Lucy and asking Bacha questions about Lucy. And before you know it, she's talking to Bacha about her missing loved one. So it was exactly. incredible in for Bacha. And the other thing about this, and this is this is I guess where the the, the Israeli sense of um, how do we translate chutzpah? Uh, chutzpah. <laughs> which is <laughs> which you call it chutzpah. This is where the Israeli chutzpah very famous old Israeli <laughs> there were, technology. There were originally there originally no animals allowed into the family That's right. uh, reunification center. And until Lucy came in and, and we said we brought her all the way from Israel That's and right. we're here to help and there's no way we can take her back because there's nowhere to put her. So we're gonna bring her with us and the hotel concierge was like, no, no, we don't let animals in here. So we said, okay, and, we and said, went okay. around the back corridor and walked into the room <laughs> with her. <laughs> and the magic started happening. And then, and then surprisingly, a whole bunch of other, bunch of other therapeutic right. dogs the next came day, in there. That's the next right. day, a bunch of other therapy, animal therapy dogs came in. And from then on, it was, it our, was a different world. Our theory world. in life and in our organization for many years is we will always take the route of doing and needing to apologize if necessary than waiting for authorization. Right. Well, I think on, even on the first day, uh, when we wanted to debrief the families together with the IDF, um, we tried to do it the quote-unquote American way. We asked for a table, uh, two tables, a Spanish table and an English-speaking table to debrief. And uh, we asked through the proper channels and waited five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And the answer came back, there are no tables available. So I... Um, uh, 
me and the IDF guy uh, looked at the food tables and we said, let's do it. And we just went and turned six food tables into four food tables. And, lo and, and we behold, had a Spanish table and, and an English table. We had a Spanish table and an English table. That's the way it works in Israel, yes. Uh, so Batya also, had her other Zee Grover, and she spoke Spanish, so she was able yes. to, to handle the Spanish side of things. Yes. Um, it was really an amazing team effort that, that took place in Surfside, both with uh, our assistants, the IDF's assistants, and the community's assistants that came in and cared for these people for so long. Uh, literally every need that they had was supplied, whether it was food, whether it was clothing, whether it was drinks, and it was just continuous. Um, there was a, a restaurant that was opened in the community center which just provided food and meals for for uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of people every day. Not only the community, but all the first responders and task force and, exactly. and all the volunteers. Any volunteer. Anyone from- who came to help the community was fed there. To, to it, it's simply unbelievable to see how community comes right. together in disaster. And that turned we into that, that turned into our day. second scene because what ended up happening there was that we went from the family reunification center to the community center where the first responders were gathering, where other volunteers were gathering, where family members were gathering who weren't at the family reunification center, um, and coming for food, coming for a sense of relief, coming for a little bit of a break. Whether it was the first responders who were coming off the pile and the USAR groups. Uh, or the firefighters coming off of, of searching uh, in the pile and then coming for a little bit of a break, relief before they go back on in their next shift. Um, they all sort of center, centered around there, and we sent a second delegation from our team over to the community center to care for them. Um, and in essence, divided our time between the family reunification center and the community center where uh, everyone's taking these breaks and, and refueling, as the case would be. Um, and we provided care. By there the as way, well. this center, just to make people understand, is literally four or five buildings down from the from the disaster site itself. So literally, the first responders are coming out from the site there and heading over to grab a burger or a pizza or or, or just to whatever chill out they and were get their drinks the and, and whatever, and just chill there while you had some people from the community there also helping out. And then as we were walking in there, we just saw this happen. And once again, Lucy started doing her magic and you see these huge task force guys you know six foot five 300 pounds suddenly getting down their knees you know they're full of dust coming out of the rubble it's tough work in there with the humidity the heat the, the rain the the, 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 the rain. Flies, everything the smell of flies, any of you who yeah. any of you guys who ever been out there on a disaster site know what i'm talking about and for me by the way when i was there the instant uh flashback that i had was haiti 2010 in port-au-prince by the way, in the middle of Florida. But anyway, going back to the community center, so we see these huge guys getting down on their knees, hugging Lucy, just literally hugging her. Two minutes, three minutes, patting her, not even saying a word, not saying a word, and then just getting up, smiling and saying, thank you so much, and walking away. And I have chills now when I'm saying this, literally. And we went to the other other family reunification center with with the people who survived in the side of the building that was there, Right, uh, we should and, speak about them too. Because and when Lucy Lucy came in and we we identified them, we also yeah. we worked with uh, with those family members, and Lucy was essential there as well, helping provide care and helping provide things. There were people who lost their entire lives, and they had to rebuild uh, from scratch. People had just taken out mortgages on apartments and and lost both the mortgage and the apartment, and were still left paying it paying the mortgage for for apartments that uh, didn't exist anymore, and now had to go figure out where they're going to live with their families. Um, and and one, of the th- one of the things that we were called on to do as well was to speak to some of the very traumatized survivors from the other half of the building, 
Um, those who made it out. One yeah. of, those who made it out. One of whom told me that when she heard this, what what she thought was an earthquake, she opened her front door and looked down the hall to her friend's apartment and saw the uh, and just saw air, night air, saw nothing. and and she saw nothing. And that was down the, that was just down the hall from her. So she uh, um, was severely traumatized. She did manage to get out, obviously, but. Uh, t- tremendous amount of trauma over the next losing uh, their neighbors. These are people neighbors. that, that, that yeah. their neighbors, their friends, their networks, and and the the healing was really rebuilding that. And part of that was to start getting them going, uh, was to reconnect them and reconnect them with with the Red Cross service that was there, with the community services that were there, which weren't aware that even at some point that there was even a second family unification center we had to connect the two, um, and uh, really helping them start again. Um, and doing that by showing that we're there to support them, showing that we're there to help them, uh, and we and had- also helping them, you know, process this crazy, crazy thing that had happened to them in the sense that it easily could have been them in the rubble. I I uh, spoke to uh, an older man there who told me that he had spent his whole life saving up for an apartment there, and uh, always wanted a beachfront uh, apartment so he could look out over uh, the water. And when the time came, he was $30,000 short and went to the bank to take a loan uh, so that he could buy that beachfront uh, condo. And in the end decided, hey, you know, I'm 67 years old. I don't want to get into debt now. I'm just going to buy one on the other side of the building. And he did. And three months prior to Surfside, moved into the other side of the building. So his sense was, that should have been me in the rubble. I spent my whole life saving up for that apartment. Wow. Man. Wow. And just there so many, so many human stories there. It was, it was just, it was, it was unreal. Just talking to these people, day in and day out there, and and hearing their their whole life story, hearing the the incidents of that night, and and it really is that that's on the one side, and the other side is is teaming up with the first responders and the task force guys and the and the USAR and and all of them working, seeing everybody like unified. They're trying to really. You know, at the beginning, in the first week there, it really was about trying to find survivors. It really was about trying to find survivors, but eventually it became more and more apparent that that is not going to happen to start creating that closure process and recovery process. Right, especially as they were expecting a a storm, and I remember there was the decision made to take down the rest of the building. At that point, it was sort of switched over from a... a Rescue rescue to recovery. recovery. And and that was something that was very, very hard for the families to process as well. Um, that was right around, right after the time the president came down. Yeah, it was. It was more or less the next. Uh, the next day, I think. Next day, I think the decision mm-hmm. was made. Um, so let's talk a little bit about now. We we spoke a little bit about what we did with the family. We spoke a little bit about the first responders and the help, and and we touched on Lucy. Um, but there was also a lot of uh, help from the rest of the community, which was coming to uh, everyone there who was involved. And I think we touched on that as well. Um, but Lucy also was very effective for us um, yes. because. As we're, we're, we're going into this scene where, where it was a continuous scene, they were there for an entire week um, of just helping other people and hearing these human stories, very human stories, are very powerful, each one of them. Um, and it's it's hard for the for us, for, for the therapists, the responders coming in as well. Um, and it's one of the other things that uh, Lucy helped us sort of process it. It wasn't Lucy. It was Sharon. It was Sharon. No. Sharon, at the end of every day, made sure to gather us all, 10, 11, 12 at night, whatever it was, to do our own... Uh, 
you know, just just talk about it and 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 take the the stories off of our chest there to get us. How do you call it? Self care. You called it right. Self care, well, <laughs> which is incredibly important for any uh, any person working in I think the the therapy industry or or first responders as well, and in, in any industry helping others, you have to worry about self care and making sure that you're uh, able to continue doing what you're doing to help others as well. Well, I I, uh, I actually remember it quite differently. I remember that there was. <laughs> One you, were day, you were traumatized. One day, I don't remember being <laughs> the one who organized that, but but I, think we I all do did think, a night. I think it I think was really nice, and uh, you know, you bring up an important point. I think it was really nice the way that we all supported each other, and I found that to be one of the nicest parts of the um, mission for me. Was uh, I? I remember specifically my my toughest interaction was on a Tuesday evening uh, when a woman uh, from South America. Uh, had flown in with her brother. They were looking for their parents, who you know obviously were not alive, and they had only heard about the Israeli desk doing the interviewing. At that point, uh, we had been interviewing since Sunday. It was Tuesday evening. Um, she came together with her brother, um, and uh, and was uh, able to t- give us a lot of information about uh, her parents. But then at the end of the interview. Uh, she put her hand across the table and she grabbed my hand and the hand of the female IDF Homefront Command person and she said, promise me that it wouldn't have made a difference if we had come on Sunday. And the female IDF officer said, no, it, it, it wouldn't have made a difference. But I understood that what she was asking me was, promise me that I didn't kill my parents by only coming now. And after that conversation, I came back to the apartment. I found Dovi and Hadas, the other social worker, and I said to them, guys, I need therapy. <laughs> I need it now. And I got 15 minutes. I think Dovi minutes. offered whiskey, right? <laughs> That's usually what I do. Dovi generally <laughs> offers whiskey. But in this instance, he was really good. And I spoke to Dovi and Hadas for about 15 minutes. And I felt a whole lot better after I did. And I think we all really supported each other really well throughout the whole experience. Right. And that was, I think, the main the main thing that we really uh, gave the people, uh, the family members, the missing family members, those who survived, the first responders. Uh, at Surfside, I think the, the biggest help that we did was we gave them an opportunity to open up and to talk and to really let out their feelings uh, of what was going on in their in their hearts and their minds at that time, because otherwise they were just sitting in limbo waiting for answers that, that weren't yet available um, and were only available a couple of weeks later, unfortunately. I think that's uh, about as much time as we have here. But just before we wrap things up, um, let's talk about the effect that, that our, our mission sort of had on the community there and like the, the fact that people came from abroad and from a different country uh, to help out. And it wasn't just Israel, but people from Mexico came, people from other countries came as well. Canada was sent a group down eventually. And the what that effect had on the community as a whole, both on people and the first responders and the community members themselves who saw all this help coming from abroad to help them. Yeah, that was huge. Uh, I think that it became really obvious. You know, we were very much in work mode the entire time. Um, You know, sometimes we would only come up for air to grab a granola bar and keep uh, keep going. I pretty much lived on granola bars the entire (laughs) time I was there, as everybody knows. Main Uh, source of nutrition. Main source of nutrition. Um, And then I think that it it became apparent to all of us when some of the um, our local hosts who really supported us both in finding us a place to sleep and in feeding us every single day um, took us out to a restaurant on the last night 
And uh, at the end of the meal, um, we were surprised with a standing ovation from the entire staff of their kitchen. Um, and the other people at the restaurant. And the other people at the restaurant. It really, it really started like the staff coming by, the lights suddenly dim, and the and music goes up. And then the right. guy, the owner gets on the loudspeaker and says, we want to thank um, the, the volunteers from Israel that came to help our community. And I, I, literally, I... I, I I won't say who, but a few other team members really started to cry. Oh, we were all crying. We were all crying. Least, we were okay. all crying. You said it. Let's I think you might it. be the only one who wasn't. It, it was. wasn't. We can't even divide that by gender. We have to just yeah. say it. We were all it, it crying. Was, it was very special. It was very special because while yeah. you're working throughout the week, you're really not thinking about this. Right. And right. suddenly, you know, people, mind you, we were in the within the six, seven blocks of the disaster throughout the week. We never really left that area. And, you know, life was going on around and people are going to restaurants and, and, and everything is normal. And suddenly it, it was like when we got out for a minute to the normalcy, the people from around really, really, um, it, it, it was an amazing. Yeah. Impact. We were shocked. We were totally shocked. It was, it was humbling. It was really a humbling moment. Yes. And at that moment, I think I personally, I can speak for myself, but I think everybody really understood our mission was fulfilled because we said, what's our, what's our primary mission? We want to come and help the community, show them that we care in their time of suffering. And when that happened, as, as, as mission leader, I said, okay, our mission was fulfilled. Right, yeah. we, we succeeded in that moment. Yes. But, and that was, it was also a little bit of an emotional release for us because we were able to re finally reflect on, on what we had done over the week and, mm -hmm. and the amount of people we helped and the amount of uh, you know, stories that we heard and everything just sort of came out all at once. At least for me, everything came back to my mind in that moment. Um, of of just the magnitude of what was really taking place at the time, mm -hmm. and it wasn't just uh, you know the the tremendous loss that was happening too, but there was the tremendous signs of, and 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 gathering of humanity uh, to support and be there for one another uh, from all over, um, and that's really I think the only the only real answer uh, I guess from all my time in the Secretary Unit and, and as a first responder, I recognize that the only real answer to tragedy. Uh, when a tragedy occurs, whether it's something like Surfside on that magnitude or whether it's something on, you know, even on personal level uh, of losing a loved one or, you know, God forbid, a terror attack, things like that, the only real answer is unity and support of community, of people coming together to support each yeah, other, to show that up, they're there. showing up and being there. Yeah, that's, and that's that's really the only the only answer. And the more we do that for one another, um, the better the better a society will really create. So. With that, I guess we're signing off. I guess. I guess. <laughs> well, what can I say? I, I want to thank uh, uh, Sharon for joining us today it's been my on this pleasure. podcast, and Rafael. And I think for me personally, this is just another session of debriefing and, and venting off what we've experienced together mm -hmm. on that Surfside uh, Champlain Towers collapse mission uh, just a few months ago. So, thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming in, Sharon. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Yeah.